pray uh, this morning. Holy Spirit, open our eyes. This morning, let us see something about you that we haven't seen before. Let us hear something fresh from you. Holy Spirit, I pray right now you would speak to each of us. Lord, that you would take what comes out of my mouth, interpret it into a language that's beneficial and useful for the people that are here. And, and, and Lord, we just want to say again, Father, we love you. God, we thank you for what you did for us on the cross. Father, we thank you for your tremendous, tremendous grace that, uh, Lord, you love us as we are, warts and all. It doesn't stop your love for each and every one of us, God. And we receive that love this morning and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Luke chapter 3. I'm going to put my glasses on to read. Luke chapter 3, verse 15 and 16. It says, Now as the people were in expectation and all reasoned in their hearts about John. We're talking about John the Baptist. So John the Baptist is going about and he's baptizing people in the river. And John was a wild guy, camel's hair and not well shaven. He wasn't a handsome, well-dressed man like me. <laughs> Trying to look at someone and say he was more like that person, but I don't want to offend anybody. Um, Rob, oh, no, no, you, you get away with it today. You had a shave. It's all good. Daniel, maybe. Daniel's head, Rob's facial hair. Somebody else's clothes. I don't know. So John the Baptist comes and he's baptizing people. And there's this group of people. And they're wondering. They're asking themselves this question. Is John the Baptist the long-awaited Messiah that we as a Jewish nation have been waiting for? So we go back and we go back to the Garden of Eden and we know the story of Adam and Eve and God creating Adam and Eve and they're walking in direct communion with God. And they made a decision and that decision was to say no to God's way and do their own thing in a broke relationship. And this thing called sin became a problem between man and God. But because God so loves man, he said, that's okay, you've, you've broken relationship." And mankind will never be good enough to restore it. We'll never be good enough. We cannot be perfect enough. We cannot dot our I's and cross our T's good enough. There was nothing humanity was ever going to be able to do to reach back up to God. So God said, that's okay. I've got a plan. What I'm going to do is I'm going to send my son. I'm going to come to earth as a man. And I'm going to walk as a man and experience life on planet earth as a man. I'm going to resist sin, resist temptation. And then I'm going to be crucified on a cross. And in that moment of crucifixion, here's what happens for God. God upholds his justice because the wages of sin is death. If we break the law, there needs to be a punishment. If there's no punishment for breaking the law, it's not a law, it's just good advice. And God's not into dishing out good advice. He had standards and we blew it. And so by sending Jesus, when Jesus dies on that cross, he upholds the justice side of God. The wages of sin is death. Somebody has died for what mankind has done. But he also gets to uphold the merciful side of his character as well, in the sense that it's not you or me, it's Jesus that dies for the things that I've done and mistakes that I've made. So that when God looks at me, he sees Jesus, and I can be restored back into relationship with God the Father. That's the gospel story, that's the good news. The Bible talks about good news, that's the good news, is that you can't make it up, you're not going to climb high enough to get to God yourself. But God in his grace and mercy has reached down to you through the person of Jesus Christ. And all we need to do is accept that death as having taken place for us. 
and turn our life around and invite God into our life and walk in newness of life that he offers us. He says he'll place his spirit inside of us and we will be different people. And it's hard to explain that to people that don't, haven't experienced that, but it's true. Uh, I had no desire for anything but my own selfish stuff until the age of 19. I just wanted to go out and party and do what I did. And when God came into my life, all of a sudden, I had desires for different things. I wanted to do different things. It wasn't me trying to, to make myself a good person. I just found that as I spent time in the Word of God and I spent time with God, that my desires and who I was began to change. And I became this absolutely amazing person I am right now that this woman here just saw across the room and went, I've got to have him. And she forsook all and came after me. That's the good news. And so way back here, John the Baptist is preparing the way for these people. He's preparing the way, saying the Messiah is coming. But there's a group of people going, we're not sure, are you the Messiah or not? But I love what it says. It says, now as the people were in expectation, they were in expectation. And John goes on in verse 16 and it says, I baptise you with water. But one mightier than I is coming whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to lose. He'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. There's a group of people, and the Bible says they were in expectation. They were actually expecting something. They weren't just going through their days, going through their rituals. They were expecting something. When John came, they went, Oh, is this the Messiah we've been expecting? I find that amazing that these people were expecting. It's been 400 years since God had any significant interaction with the nation of Israel. 400 years of silence between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New. 400 years, whereas a nation they've had little to no contact, definitely no recorded contact with this God, Yahweh, that they believe in. 400 years. And yet here we are with a group of people, and the Bible says they were in expectation. That blows my mind. Not only were they 400 years away from the last time God spoke, but this is probably five or six generations beyond. So these people who are in expectation have never had a significant encounter with God ever themselves. Think about that. They've never had a significant encounter with God. All they have is the Old Testament that they would go to the synagogue and the rabbi would read and all the prophecies and all the things speaking about the Messiah that was going to come, that's all they had. They basically, here's the thing, they just simply, to to paraphrase our day, they had the word of God and that was it. Yet here they are in expectation. I think that's incredible. I read that and I go, what a challenge. Am, Am I... Am I living in expectation? When it comes to God and what I know he can do and what I know he would desire to do on planet Earth, what he would like to do in my life, what he would like to do through me to bless the world, am I walking around this planet in expectation that God wants to do something in and through me? Or have I had a couple of things that maybe didn't go my way? And so I've stopped expecting. Maybe a couple of prayers didn't get answered and so I have just dropped my expectation and laid my faith down and settled for something that's 
probably a bit more along the lines of what we would refer to as religion. Just philosophies of good ideas, but nothing tangible and real and experiential about it. You see, the minute I lose expectation in my life and lose sight of the God of the Bible and what the Bible tells me he is like and his character and his nature and his desire to be intimate with each of us and his power that's available to us to change us and to transform us and to move through us and to impact the lives of other people. When I lose expectation of any of that and I become comfortable with that low expectation, I'm beginning to walk into the Christian religion not Christianity as Jesus Christ intended it to be. Jesus didn't come to planet Earth to give us another religion. There were thousands and thousands of religious ideologies around the time that Jesus walked. There were plenty of gods, a plethora of ideas and philosophies. Jesus did not come to give us another one. He came to open a doorway of relationship so that we could have relationship with God, so that we could live a life expecting that God wants to be with us, that God wants to speak to us, that God wants to change us, that God wants to move in us, that God wants to move through us. Where is our expectation level at at the moment? It's, it's, I, normally I would share something like this maybe, you know, first First message 2019, when we all talk about our New Year's resolutions. You know, and we all get pumped up about New Year's resolutions. And, you know, 30 days after we start getting pumped, we're back to the, being the same people, believing the same things and doing the same things we did. But that's okay, because that means that next year I don't have to think about a resolution. I've got one from last year. I'll just recycle it. And that's what we do. We have the same New Year's resolutions every year. So I didn't want to wait till the first message in 2019 to bring this up. I want to ask you a question. If we were to have an expectation-ometer, anyone ever seen an expectation-ometer? It's a thing, and I wave it above you, and it goes, boop, 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 And the faster it beeps, the more expectation there is there, the more faith there is there. If I was to wave an expectation-ometer over each of us as individuals, and 10 was, wow, off the charts, get away, this thing's going to blow. And one was, is there anybody under me? Where do you think you would be right now? It's been a long year. There's been a lot of things that have happened. We've prayed for lots of things. We've expected lots of things. We've believed for lots of things. We've read about lots of things. God himself, by his spirit, has said lots of things to each of us. Some of those things have come to pass. Some of those things have not. Some outcomes have happened the way we thought they would. Some didn't. Where is our expectation level at now? I'm challenged by these guys. 400 years with no significant encounter with God. Nothing but something some prophets wrote hundreds of years earlier to sustain them. But that word was enough for them to read and to believe that when John came on the scene, here they are in ready expectation. And so John says that in this, he says, let me give you what you can expect out of me. I'll baptize you with water. That's what you can expect out of me. But one is coming after me, this Messiah that you're waiting for. 
And when he comes, here's what you can expect from him. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He will change your life. He will transform your life. He will burn up. He'll burn you up. He will pour his spirit, the very spirit of God, all over you. And turn you into a new person. Here's what you can expect from him. And if I wave the expectometer over each of us right now, and the person of Jesus and what John the Baptist said, how many beeps are you going to give me? One to ten. How many beeps are we going to give? How many beeps are we going to give? You see, we can lose expectation easily. We lose expectation easily. Our faith drops quickly, especially when things don't turn out the way we want them to turn out. We, a few weeks ago, we had the, the joy, in one sense, of announcing the departure of Michelle, who passed away from cancer. It was not a joy that she didn't beat breast cancer. That was not a joy. But the joy is that before she passed on, she got her heart right with God. And so right now, she's sitting up there with no questions. She's got all the answers that we're still wondering about. So, but we didn't get what we wanted. We weren't praying that, that she would just get right with God and go on to eternity. We were praying that she would be healed. And she wasn't. Now, when things like that happen, your expectation goes, oh. Jackie found out the other day another great dear friend of hers, two days ago, just been diagnosed with breast cancer again. And, 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 and what goes on inside the heart? Do you think, I can't wait to, to sit down and to share? I want to pray for that person because I believe in a God that heals the sick. So I want to pray for that person and believe God. Or, or is the expectation level lower now? It's like, oh, I don't know. I'm, I'm just not sure that I'm there anymore. I prayed for this and it didn't happen. So next time I get a chance to pray for something, oh, I'm just not sure. Maybe I change my belief. Maybe instead of believing that God's a healer, maybe I just, it's easier just to go, well, no, I don't think he heals anymore. That way I won't be disappointed. I won't aim here anymore. I'll set the bar way down here. But I don't think God wants us to set the bar down here. Ephesians 3.20 Paul is writing to the Ephesian church and he's going through in Ephesians chapter 3. He's writing this stuff and you can tell, you can almost imagine him sitting at his desk writing about the goodness of God and he just gets excited and excited and more and more excited about who God is. And it culminates in verse 20 where it's like, I don't know what else to say, so I'm going to finish with this. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, according to the Holy Spirit, The presence of God that's in us, that's here on earth. He says he can do exceedingly abundantly above all. So that's that's an expectation-ometer of 11. And how many of you, we read that and maybe we start out like that and it's, yeah. But things happen and we lower our expectation and we bring the bar down and all of a sudden we start asking for little. Because we don't want to ask for much. We start believing for the lowest common denominator that will satisfy us and keep us on the religious train, but we don't want to be too wild anymore. We looked at last week when Jesus went to Nazareth, his own hometown. Here he is, the Son of God. And he goes to his own hometown of Nazareth. 
And the Bible is very clear. It says when he got there, he could do no mighty work there except heal a few minor ailments. In the Greek, it literally means he healed like a few headaches and a couple of ingrown toenails. But there were people there that couldn't see. There were people that couldn't hear. There were people that couldn't get out of bed. But because of the unbelief, the low expectation, the very Son of God himself, the Bible tells us, I don't, I don't like that passage, actually, I hate it. I'd like to tear it out of my Bible. I'd like to tear it out, if I'm brutally honest with you. Because I don't like to think that my faith or my expectation can play a role in what God does or doesn't do. I don't want to think like that. I just want to say God is sovereign and he'll do whatever he wants. But I, even in the Old Testament, I read time and time again ago, but I can't help but see that man played a role in the history of humanity walking alongside God. 1 Corinthians 10 talks about what was written in the Old Testament in Exodus story was written to teach us in the New Testament. To teach us that if we don't want to walk with God, or we don't want to believe, we want to keep whinging, complaining and so on, God is patient. He will wait. He will take what he wanted me to do and he'll pass it on to somebody else. Or he'll wait for another generation or whatever. I don't like those passages in the Bible. I want to take them out. I don't like them. I don't want to think that if Jesus walked in here right now and waved his expectationometer over us, that we could create such an environment here that he would be limited in what he could do. I don't like that thought. I don't know about you, but I don't like that thought. But I'm not living my life by my thoughts. I'm, I'm living my life by what God has chosen to reveal to me through his word. My faith, my, my lack of faith, my, my limited uh, expectation can slow down the process of God or stop the process of God in my life and through my life. And I don't want to be that person. I want to be open to God. I want to be a vessel that God can move through. I look at my life and I look at some of the characteristics and things in me. And I joke a bit about, you know, being awesome and perfect and wonderful. Well, it's kind of a joke, I guess. But, but there are parts of me I don't like. There are parts of my character and my nature that I don't like. And you know what? I think there are parts of my character and nature that God himself, I don't think he's really jumping up and down in excitement about them either. He's going, come on, Al, let's work together on this. Let's, let's, let, me, let, me, let me bring some healing to those broken parts of your world. But I wonder whether I have the expectation or the faith anymore that God can change me. Or am I just, this is who I am and it's just the way it is. I don't want to be that person that limits God's movement in and through me because I bring down the level of expectation. It says here that these people were full of expectation. Man, if you can be that excited and that full of expectation after 400 years of no contact with God, what excuse have I got that's good enough to say, well, I just don't believe anymore, God. I don't trust you anymore. I'm going to bring the level of expectation right down here. You know, I look around the, the Western church. It's amazing because we spent years in India and I've been to other um, third world places and uh, you know, we spent some time living there and ministering in other places, countries. And every time I come back, I stand in front of churches and share some of the stories and the things that you see over there. Okay? 
And we see healings and we see miracles and signs and wonders and things that, that in my natural comprehension I can't explain. But I saw it. I was standing right there when it happened. And you come back and you, you share it. In church, when we, we in mission, uh, worked, used to work with a mission agency and I'd go into church and you'd share it. And, and you could see that I felt a bit like, you know, you know the Bible says in Acts chapter 3 that, that, that Peter and... Uh, uh, I think it was Peter and John were going to the temple in Acts chapter 3. And there's, a blind, there's a beggar. The Bible says that he's put at the, at the front of the temple every single day, sat there, plopped in the one spot to beg every day. Because people were going into the temple. Nobody went to the temple without taking money back in those days. You always put an offering in the temple. And so he's plopped right there because that's a great place for business. If you're going to beg, go somewhere where you know people have got money. Not only got money, they're going into the temple, so they're probably feeling fairly charitable. It's a great business. Good business model. And so the Bible says Peter and John were walking in and they looked at the beggar and they said, look at us. And the Bible says that he looked at them expecting to receive something. You know that story? And they said those great lines, silver and gold we don't have. What we do have we give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. And they grabbed his hand and they pulled him to his feet. I, I sometimes wonder... Um, I'll bear my heart a little bit here. I sometimes wonder on Sunday that, that this beggar looked intently at Peter and John expecting to get something. But you know what he was expecting? He was just expecting the same thing he got every other day of his life. He just expected the same thing. Give me a coin. Give me a coin. You know? Like dumber dumber. There you go. There you go. There you go. There you go. That's all he was expecting. Now, praise God, on that day, he got something greater than that. But he was just expecting the same thing. And I sometimes wonder when we gather here on a Sunday, what are we expecting? Are we just expecting more of the same thing? Do we gather together because, well, we're Christians, that's what we do on a Sunday. We just need to come to a building and we just need to meet with people and got to sing our three-song quota, maybe four if we've got time. Maybe you just come for the morning tea. I mean, I probably 80%. I'm here for the morning tea myself. But I sometimes wonder, the Bible says that they looked intently at Peter and John. He looked at them expecting to get something. I sometimes wonder, just as a pastor, I wonder, when people sit down, they look intently at me. I wonder what they're expecting to get. I wonder if you're just expecting the same thing that we get every week. Or are we expecting God? To do something greater. We're expecting God to break into our world. We're expecting God to do those things that are exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or think. See, I think that's where the power of Christianity lies. Is in that, that space of opportunity where we say to God, we will provide the expectation and God, you make the decisions about what you want to do. But we will provide the expectation. That's our part. We don't, we're not going to tell you what to do, God, but we're going to create faith in our life and expectation in our life so that you, God, can decide what you want to do. Whether it be here at church, whether it be at home in my own life, whether it be through me in the workplace, through me at school, I'm just going to create a space of faith and expectation and let you decide what you want to do. Because the alternative is I create a space of low expectation, no faith and so on, and I don't have a clue what God wanted to do because he can't work in that environment. I stop him. I stop him in that space. These people, after 400 years, still maintained a space of expectation in their life. I'm challenged by that because I could lose my expectation like that over things that 
just don't go my way or things that I just simply do not like. In Luke chapter 4, when Jesus stood up, and somebody mentioned it this morning, and it might have been Judy, when Jesus stood up and he quoted Isaiah 61, he grabs a parchment, he stands in front of the people in the synagogue and he says this statement, he says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach and to bring good news and to set at liberty captives and so on. You know what he was saying? Here's what Jesus said. The very first thing he did when he stood in front of a crowd, he, this is what he did. He said, hey boys, I'm here and here's what you can now expect. Here's what you can now expect. The poor are going to receive dignity and they're going to hear the word of God and I'm going to lift them up and the oppressed are going to be set free and the blind are going to be healed and those that are down will be pulled up and those that feel like they're trapped in prisons will have the doors open. This is what Jesus said. He said, I'm here now. You can expect something different. And then he sits down and he looks them in the eye and he says, this scripture is fulfilled right now. Right now. And when I ask you, when you think about Jesus right now in this place, do you think about Jesus with you in your life? What is the expectation ometer for you? Are we living in that space? Are we living in that space? Are we expecting? Are we believing? Is our Jesus the one who said, hey, now that I'm on the scene, things are going to change. Now that I'm here, I want to change the way that you look at life. I want to change the way that you do things. Go really quickly. We'll finish up here. Go to Mark chapter 10 for me. Go to Mark chapter 10 real quick. I just want to show you a story. We've all read it and we pass it by and we probably don't realise the incomplete and true significance of what it's all about. Mark chapter 10. It's a story of a guy called Blind Bartimaeus. Blind Bartimaeus. He sits on the side of the road and he begs. Mark chapter 10, verse 46. Now they came to Jericho. As he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. He's a beggar. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then many warned him to be quiet. Be quiet. Be quiet. Here's this blind man screaming out for Jesus. And here's the funny thing. The crowds are saying, be quiet. How fickle people can be though. Because in in the space of one verse, they're dragging him to the guy. Ridiculous. Then many warned him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more, Jesus, son of David, have mercy. So Jesus stood still, commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man saying, hey, be of good cheer. Rise, he's calling you. Be quiet. Oh, hang on, come on, he's calling you. Watch what he does. In verse 50, it says, And throwing aside his garment, he arose and came to Jesus. In Roman times, there were lots and lots of beggars. We lived in India, and there were beggars everywhere. And how do you tell the beggars that are genuinely in need from the beggars who are just, it's a lifestyle choice. And, and it is for some of them over there. I used to have these little kids and I used to go downtown. I used to give them money when I first moved to India as a single man before we were married. And I used to go down and I would, would, would give to these, these little kids and they would watch my motorbike. They would guard it like, like, like a pack of dogs. No one goes near my bike. They'd polish it up and stuff and I'd give them. And then I found out that they would take the money back home and dad would take the money and he would go and buy alcohol and he would drink himself stupid. So I thought one day, well, I'm not going to give them money. What I'll do is I'll buy them some shoes. So I took these kids to a little cobbler and I got some shoes made for them. And I gave them shoes because I noticed they had no shoes. A couple of days later, I'm back in town. I noticed the shoes are gone. So I asked some shopkeeper friends and they said, yeah, yeah. As soon as they went home, Dad took the shoes, sold them and went and bought more alcohol. 
So what I ended up doing in the end was I would just go to this little ice cream parlour and I would sit on a stair with all the, about 10 little Indian kids around me. I couldn't speak their language, they couldn't speak mine, we didn't understand each other, but they were the best of times. And I'd go and they'd pick a colour ice cream and the shopkeeper wouldn't let them in the shop because they were low caste. But I'd go in and I'd get all the ice creams and we'd sit on the stair and we would just have an ice cream together. And I thought, to you, Dad, you can't sell their ice cream on them. And they got to be kids for a second, which I loved. But how do you tell the real beggar from somebody who's milking the system? Well, in Rome, the Roman government used to give garments to official beggars. So... They were aware that not everybody begging was a legitimate beggar. So the Roman government would actually issue a particular, I can't remember what colour it was, but a particular coloured garment. To, and, and the idea was that that garment validated you as a beggar. So when people, tourists and someone were coming through town, if, if there was someone begging, you could give to them and you would know this person is a legitimate beggar. The Bible tells us with blind Bartimaeus, the minute Jesus called him, it says he stood up and what did he do? He threw away his garment. He threw away his garment. You see, when blind Bartimaeus heard the call of Jesus, when Jesus said, tell him to come here, I accept him. I want to be with him. Bartimaeus' expectation changed. I'm not a beggar anymore. I'm a son now. I'm no longer a consumer of society. I'm going to throw that away and change my expectation. I'm now going to become a contributor to society. I'm no longer going to be this person. I'm a changed man. I'm going to be this person. And in a step of faith, he threw away that garment. He threw away that which marked him as being a legitimate beggar. He no longer expected to go through life without seeing. He no longer expected to survive on the charity of others. He no longer expected to live as a consumer. He adopted a totally different set of expectations. And I wonder today, for each of us here, it's been a long year and a lot of things have happened and a lot of things haven't. And I just want to ask you the question, whereabouts is your expectation? Where is your expectation? Does God still heal, even though you may have prayed for a couple of people who didn't get healed? Does God still restore, even though you may feel there are areas of your world are not restored yet? What are we going to do? Are we going to lower our expectation? Are we going to forget that the God we follow can do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or think? Are we comfortable not believing that? Are we comfortable just to sit in our own dysfunction and not allow God access to those areas? Are we comfortable to have people walk into church here and not feel the presence of God. I'm not comfortable that I lay my hands on sick people and they don't get healed. I'm not comfortable with that. I'm not, it's not up to me. I'm not, I've got no magical powers. It's up to God. But I'm glad that I'm not comfortable with that because it tells me that my expectation is still here and I don't want to become comfortable with not seeing the things that the Bible tells me God wants to do. You know, where's your expectation level at this morning? Who is your God? What does he look like? What can he do? What can't he do? How open are you to God being the person that he says he is? The book of Daniel says those who know their God will do great exploits. Great exploits. Who wants to do great 
exploits. Who wants to be used of God to change the society that you live in? Who wants to be used of God to make a difference in the community? This building makes no difference in the community. It's the people. It's what we do when we walk outside of here that makes a difference in the community that we're in. This is just a building. It's just a shed. Praise God for it. I'm happy for it. I'm glad we've got aircon. It's stinking hot today. But it's just a shed. I don't expect this building to make a difference out there. But I do expect God through me to make a difference out there. And I do expect God through you to want to make a difference out there. I just wanted to throw that out this morning because when I read that and I thought, wow, 400 years and they were still in expectation. I said, you know what, God, forgive me. Forgive me, Lord, for the times where I don't get what I want and so I lower my expectation. 400 years. Well, the time I prayed for that person and, and, and it didn't go the way I thought. 400 years. Or the time I believed you for this, 400 years. Or the things that you spoke to me, God, years and years ago about how you wanted to use me, what you wanted to do through me. And because it hasn't happened now, maybe it's five years, 10 years, 20 years on, I'm still not seeing it. I laid it down. 400 years. 400 years. So I pray for each of us over this Christmas period. You know, I pray as we think about the new year and as we, we come back in uh, 2019 ahead of us. I, I pray that we, we hit the ground running. I pray for each of you that your expectation level will rise, that you'll be able to look at yourself and be honest and go, Lord, you know what? I can see where I've lowered the bar. I can see where I've lost faith. I can see where I've lost expectation. And, and, and God, do something in my heart. Lord, restore that. Bring that back up. Stir me up. Inspire me. Fire me back up. John the Baptist said he'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire Lord baptize me with the Holy Spirit and fire pour it out upon me change me make me the person that you want me to be so I can go out there into the world and do the things that you want me to do amen amen father I want to thank you for uh, this morning God and once again thank you for your presence with us God thank you Lord Jesus that uh, father you're not a philosophy God we're going to celebrate Christmas in a week and God we're not celebrating some fictitious story written in a novel but God we believe with all of our heart that Father this actually happened it happened I don't know what day it happened I don't know whether it was a you know how big the shed was was it a manger a hotel God who cares Father you came to earth as a man you lived among us and you died for us God that's what matters and Lord you're still doing great and wonderful things here on planet earth and thank you that you've invited us to join with you God thank you that you've revealed yourself to us Lord And Father, I just pray as we go out here for the next seven days, Lord, give us an opportunity to show and to tell someone about the goodness of God, somebody that out there doesn't understand it and doesn't know it yet, Father. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. 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 God bless. Uh, Finish the morning tea before you go. Don't feel like you've got to run off, have a bit of a chat and so on. Uh, And if anybody could uh, maybe just give us a hand, you guys take the gifts out. Uh, and we'll see you on the 23rd. Don't forget to bring a salad or something next week so we can connect with these people. Bless you.